Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Son of Slovenia, cool as hell. He scores the ball and he rebounds well. Don't fight the future. Here comes Luca. Even losses feel like wins. Win you with your good friend Tim. It's 77 minutes in heaven. Hello, this is 77 Minutes, a Dallas Mavericks podcast, part of the Athletic Podcast Network, the only Mavericks podcast that has never overhyped any young prospect. The (laughs) right amount of hyping. Every time. Not under, not over. Just the amount that's deserved. I'm Tim Cato. I write and talk about the Mavericks. We've got uh, Dave Dufour from The Athletic, The Athletic Podcast Network, speaking of. Uh, We've got Mike Pellucci from D Magazine. You know them both. At at this point, why am I even introducing y'all? I mean... I like being introduced. Y'all are, fam- y- y'all are famous. Yeah, but you within know, the context listen. of this, within the very specific context of people who listen to seventy-seven minutes, <laughs> fair. Y'all are y'all are you know presidents of the world. Well, Dave's Pod- like Mister Roy. Dave's like the pit bull of the NBA podcast. So he's Mister Worldwide. <laughs> he's everywhere. Dave's everywhere. I'm just uh, here. You know, Dave's everywhere. The formality that exists in in professional podcasting is. It's funny. It's one of the few places where we have these like formal intros. So I guess it's like television. I don't know why we do that. My assumption is people just listen to like they listen to this over and over and over again until the next one comes out. Right. So there is no it never ends. There is no well, need again, to we're intro the only podcast. The what else would they listen to? That's right. Yeah. And, and so like, like to- when you say podcast professionality, like what is that? What we're the only one. We're the only one, and if you're not listening to us, you're listening to you want to listen to our banger of a theme song because I've gotten tweets about it today. People want to hear the song. It's on SoundCloud somewhere. Uh, maybe maybe we can figure this out and put this in the show notes on a future episode. But Ken Ken, uh, Ken can do that. Ken can, Ken do, can that. do that. Ken can do that. Our, can our fantastic our producer Ken Garrison, who deserves an introduction, because magnificent you know, producer who is yes. not actually producing this episode. But don't tell them that. he does don't most of that. the time. Yes. So we got Shadow tweets producer about that today. Shadow producer. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to. We're, we're Kent's not, not here. People. He's buying a Spanish soccer team. That's what. Sh- oh, that's what Shadow podcast producers Kent, do. Kent's not here. He's running guns to the Black Sea. <laughs> we got tweets because this is going to be a mailbag episode. I solicited questions on Twitter and on Reddit. Hello, people from both of those websites. We just have a bunch of them, and I'm going to be honest. There was. Maybe fifty percent of them related to Josh Green in one way or the other. Well, this is the podcast that loves Josh Green the most. I am the captain of the Josh Green bandwagon, right. baby. We perfectly hype him. Not over, not under. We're gonna <laughs> hype him the do. exact amount that he needs to be hyped. Yes. And so I kind of envision this uh, podcast going in kind of waves and themes. And the first two questions that I want to talk about are a lot of them are going to be geared towards the rotation, uh, the fringe rotation players who's starting, who isn't, breakout players, all of that. And, you know, I I think the best summation of 
all of the Josh Green questions we were getting was somebody on Reddit named uh, Akashi GG asking, is Josh Green the next Michael Jordan? <laughs> I didn't actually save my reply. I actually replied to that one on the Reddit thread. And I was like, I, I think that's putting his ceiling too low. <laughs> Another question on Twitter uh, came wait, from wait, wait, wait. Brian Garcia, 888. Like junior or, or Jeffrey, you know? <laughs> Marcus Another, Jordan, I think. So, yeah, so Brian closer. Garcia at eight 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 had a question that said, "How long until Josh Green takes Frank's minutes?" And so, let's start here with what is expected of Josh Green, Frank Nilakina, the idea that the Mavericks have to get some sort of ball handling and playmaking in a, albeit non traditional way, or at least not in a way that looks the same as the three guards they had last season. But they have to get something from these two players. And I will say, you know, after I went to Fan Jam on Saturday, basically an open scrimmage uh, that the Mavericks put on, I think that, like, I think they have a 10 man rotation loosely. And it's very clear that Frank and Josh are both in it, you know, along with the other eight names that you can imagine Tim Hardaway Jr., Maxi, Kleba, uh, JaVale McGee, Luca, Dorian, Reggie. Uh, who am I missing? It's, it's, the, it's the 10 players you can imagine, but they're eight and nine. Frank Nilakina and Josh Green are eight, or, or sorry, they're nine and ten. And the question is just what can be expected from them this season on a broad basis? Because I'm not sure, like Brian asked, I'm not sure the thing is that one is going to take the other's minutes. At this right. point, I, I think both of them will get minutes in a lot of games, and we're just going to have to see if one edges past the other one on a long-term basis. Well, and I think the other aspect of this is that right now, the Mavericks, as you've reported believe that Frank Nilakina can be more of a one as he was drafted to do as, you know, up until really last year, that's what he used to be. And I don't think that's going to work terribly well, but I also don't think that they are going to expect Josh Green to replace that pseudo one role, right? Because Josh Green's never been a one. And even though Josh Green, you could argue after Luca might be in the conversation for the best pure passer on this roster, Josh Green passing, especially in transition, is maybe the best part of this game. But I don't think they are at any illusion that Josh Green can run a half-court offense or anything close to that. So for as long as they want to shoehorn Frank into that one-esque role, Josh Green ain't taking his minutes. I think the Mavericks understand that, you know, the player that Nilakina is. So, you know, I, I half reported, I said that they will lean on him as a guard that just by nature of the roster build out you know, he's going to be handling the ball. I don't know how much they're going to ask him to run constant pick and rolls in the way that, you know, they did last season. So, yes, I, I do think they see him in that mold, uh, partly just because of circumstances. I, well, that's I, I don't the thing. Think, yeah, I don't think they right. like this, but they're going to lean on him for lack of a better third option in that role. And I can't see them ever asking Josh Green to do that. And so that's that, basically that's my question. That, that's basically my question. How do you get playmaking from these two players who are not traditional point guard playmakers in Josh Green like you said passing is absolutely a very good skill of his but he doesn't get into positions to make passes he doesn't beat players what does it look like if Josh Green can get in the position more often this season that he can actually make passes that create offense and shots for his teammates this is where the the loss of Jalen Brunson really hurts them is those second units you don't have Spencer there you won't have Jalen Brunson there so it, it, it won't allow Josh Green to be as dangerous as a secondary guy, as a tertiary guy, where he can catch an attack and then make the read. 
that was that's the thing about him is that transition semi transition is so dangerous. But he was also pretty good at catching on the wing and making stuff happen, uh, cutting across the lane and finding shooters in the corner. And without the he, other guy it, it, it able to start the offense, I'm not sure um, who sets him up for that. I don't know that he can set up anybody else for that. That's the thing. And, and so I I think that ultimately it's just going to be, you're going to see either Luca or Spencer going to the bench earlier and splitting up. And then maybe they're closing games together. But I think that Spencer Dinwiddie or Luca winds up being the one with Josh Green more often than, than even Nelakina, because you need somebody who can stir the drink. Nelakina just hasn't shown the ability to do that at the, in the NBA consistently enough. I mean, we know that he's a wonderful defender, but from a, as an offensive initiator, he's just not, he's not enough to, to maximize what Josh Green does. And, and so I think to start, that's, that's where you're going to look, but then you're probably hoping a guy like Jaden Hardy might be able to rise up into the rotation and, and, and be a playmaker that you compare with Josh Green. It, that's pie in the sky stuff, but you know, maybe. I thought Josh Green got worse as a secondary attacker as the season went on, because I think teams realized they just didn't need to run out and hang him, back, close they out, hang back. Yeah, exactly. And so, so the path, uh, and we'll get to Hardy after this, but the path for Josh Green starts with three point shooting. He has to make defenders guard him closer. So if he's taking more threes, I think another question, I, I, I don't have uh, who asked it off, off the top of my head, but uh, you know, what does it look like if Josh Green is taking three threes a game? I think that's, the first step. The second step is, you know, we've seen a lot of training videos and, you know, just hype around Josh Green. And a lot of it, I hopefully, is that he's a better ball handler as well. I thought that's something we know he's athletic, but not being able to dribble, you know, get a first step and dribble past somebody effectively, efficiently is something that I think let him down. And I, I think that's kind of the path. Fantasy uh, at Fanaret on Twitter said, would it be a good or bad thing if Jaden Hardy is in the regular rotation at the end of the season? I kind of think bad because I don't think he'll be ready for that. I mean, I guess in a hypothetical where he's good enough to earn it, like, yeah, that's good. But, but I, I think I, I think it would really be a step back if Josh Green and Frank Nilakina have been surpassed by a rookie who is never expected to play minutes this season. Um, I, I think it would speak more to those two players than it would Hardy, of, just based yeah just based on what a you know the Agreed. development path i'm expecting for him the the likelihood of him just being you know just amazing from day one and oh he has to play is so slim that if he were playing it would be because oh he's mediocre which is better than these guys who were bad and, and i think that i'm with you there um it, it's unlikely but i mean maybe he pops though well, I'll put it this way, right? Let's, I'm with you guys. I'm like, I can't see a world in which this happens realistically. But what is the scenario for him getting into the rotation if he's not ready? Well, there are five guys ahead of him on the depth chart who are nominal guards, right? It's Luca, it's Dinwiddie, it's Tim, and it's the aforementioned Green and Frank. You probably need two guys to have serious catastrophic injuries for Jaden Hardy to get into a rotation if he's totally not ready. The flip side is just that, yeah, maybe the other two guys that, you know, Frank and Josh don't look great. But still, just coach comfort level and those guys playing in multiple playoff series last year, they still would be ahead of him unless they totally – they would still be ahead of him unless Jaden Hardy does something to stand out, right? If it's all even, 
Jaden would not get any benefit of the doubt because most coaches just say, all right, well, these two are more defensively sound. These two have playoff minutes. This is a 19-year-old kid who, you know, is not ready in all kinds of ways. So I'm more inclined to think that if Jaden is actually in the rotation, it means that he's shown something to surpass those guys because I don't see, and, you know, we'll, we'll knock at the proverbial wood just because we don't want anybody to get hurt on a human being level. I can't see a world in which two guys suffer such catastrophic injuries that Jaden is playing well before he's ready. I've got to make I've got to make this reference. I've got to bring up the the proverbial name, the lost star of Dallas Mavericks history. Roddy Bobal was very raw this rookie year, <laughs> and he got into the rotation because he did. You know, he he hit spot up looks, and his athleticism was so good that you couldn't keep him off the court. So, I really do not foresee any scenario where Hardy is playing role minutes this season. That that he, I, he's just not going to be ready for it. He's he's so young. But and it's a different league than it was then. Yeah, but if there was a scenario, that's that's pretty much the scenario. Whereas his athleticism really is that much that he can just blow by people on a whim, and then everything else around it is good enough. Let's let's keep this moving. Uh, Thumper three four six three on Reddit asked, "Hey Tim, do you think there's trickery afoot?" That's a great phrase regarding the starting <laughs> lineup. Would you rather see Tim Hardaway Jr. get the start to stagger ball handling duties with Spencer coming off the second unit? I think the scenario, and we talked about this last week, is is much more likely that Christian would would be a starter, uh, probably next next to Javale McGee, and that's you know it, it kind of goes back to this question where I think Josh Green and Frank Nilakina can do some ball handling, do some shot creation because I I really believe the Mavericks will, but quite frankly, will have to try to create offense with Christian Wood on the court. I think that's another reason why he's going to be coming off the bench. I think there are things that Christian Wood has to prove defensively before he can even be trusted to quite possibly close games. But I also think him coming off the bench frees up some ability to smooth over the shot creation ability, you know, uh, responsibilities at any given time. Well, I think Dave just answered this a little while ago, right? You know, really this question that Thumper asks, you know, it's two different questions. Is this about what the starting lineup looks like? Or is this about doing this to stagger ball handling duties? Because I'm with Dave that like Spencer's going to start, but they'll probably sub Spencer out or Luca out and split them until it comes down to the end of the fourth quarter. So in that sense, I think the de facto answer is yes, we will probably see Tim play a lot more with Luca. Going back to the Carlisle era, we've covered this ad nauseum, both with your writing and in this podcast. Tim's best shot of looking like what he did in the Carlisle era is playing more with Luca and getting that space. Then Spencer comes off the bench, creates second unit. Everybody wins. And, you know, not to mention, you can pull one of Bullock and Dorian Finney-Smith as well, and you start setting up your second unit with a couple of starters and then, you know, Maxi Kleba. So now you're building a good base defense as well. Um, and, and that's the thing that they were missing last year. Honestly, Tim Hardaway Jr. was such a big depth piece for them. It, theoretically, last season, he would have been perfect for for what they needed. They were kind of one shooter short on those bench lineups. And I think being able to bring him off the bench, play him with Luca, who he's been fantastic with their chemistry is great. And, and then it gets, it, it gets you able to pull, you know, either, either Reggie Bullock or Dorian Finney Smith. I, I would pull Dorian Finney Smith and have him out there uh, with his, you know, his expanded offensive game with those second units. I, I mean, I'm higher on the Mavericks right now than I probably was three weeks ago, just after, you know, like, sorting through the roster a little bit, thinking it through. But the the one weakness I'm worried about is that second unit and the playmaking there, you know. Um, but Tim Hardaway allows them to alleviate that quite a bit. 
So I want to talk about offensive and defensive ceiling. Let me read a couple questions here. Um, a Twitter user named at Usher NBA, um, not the artist. Uh, the guy's name is Brett Usher. He says the Mavs were sixth in defensive rating and 15th in offensive rating last season. An inversion of the previous two seasons when under Rick Carlisle, their offense was first and ninth and their defense was 18th and 20th. Could we f- see that flip once again this season? Um, I guess those are his confessions, you could say. Money in the Hank on Reddit says everybody is focused on the loss of Brunson's offense, which is, of course, important. But how does replacing him with Dinwiddie and other players affect our defense? When we're talking about the rotation, it really feels like it's set up to defend first, right? Like you bring in someone like Christian Wood, who has defensive questions, but you also bring him in with two defensive minded guards. And the starting unit, I think, you know, it, it, Brunson was really good defensively in what he was able to do, but he was still a 6-1 point guard, which inevitably always, you know, has those downsides. And so, I, I mean, I, th- I think there's a real chance that the starting lineup is better defensively. Is that fair? Um, it, it's just, I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around just like, which one is higher? Which one is the team better set up for? Which one has more room for improvement? Because in, in some ways, I don't feel the defense has much room for improvement because of how much they maxed out so much last season. Uh, and then it makes sense that the offense will be incredibly good by adding Christian Wood into you know, a really talented mix. But then you then you start looking at the second units and you're like, well, are they are they really going to have this drop off of, of shot creation? Where do you guys just kind of see this whole thing? I mean, I think when we ask the question about flipping things entirely, we also have to take into account that, you know, Jason Kidd's priority is the defense in a way that Rick's wasn't. Not to say that Rick didn't want to play defense, but Jason really, his whole philosophy is defending first. So consequently, it's hard for me to imagine this tilting all the way back just because that's not what Jason's going to want. I do agree that the offensive ceiling is higher. Uh, I think if you want to talk yourself into the defensive ceiling raising, it's going to be based on length, both on what having JaVale could do and also Christian Wood, particularly Christian's playing with Maxi. I feel like that's your best case for optimism. You know, if you go back, you know, Istok Franco wrote about this for us at D Magazine after the trade. If you go back really, especially in the Detroit days for Wood, when Sean Sweeney was on that staff, Wood was most effectively deployed when he was playing with another big. I could see a world if, you know, playing with Maxi, where Maxi could cover up some of Christian's weaknesses, where Christian's able to kind of roam around and use his athleticism. But the key for him is the key which, you know, a lot of these guys had going to last year, which is just buy it, right? To be fair, you know, if we sit here and say how much better can the defensive ceiling be, a year ago, we didn't see the defensive ceiling being that high. And collectively, this worked. So I'm not ruling anything out. I'm with you that on paper, there's clearly more room for growth offensively. But if Wood is deployed the right way, if Wood buys in, the defense could work too. There was that open practice on Friday. And, you know, one of the things that that kind of came out of that was, I think Jason telling Sean Sweeney, you know, Christian really wants to play the five. He really wants to play the five. Let's put him at, let's put him at the five. But if you infer the right things from that, he has not been playing the five so far in training camp. And I think, you know, I actually had a conversation at uh, practice on, on Monday uh, where, yeah, I don't think he's built or earned that trust yet. And I, I don't know, you know, it's going to take more time for all of the defensive principles that the Mavericks have established outside of him. And now he's coming into fresh, you know, one of the few players kind of coming into it. Um, I, I think I think it's going to take more time. And so, yeah, I, I, I don't I don't see him at the five being something they use. 
willingly, I would say. I don't think it's ever going to be in the game state they have planned for games. Now, game states change, and you try things to see if it will work when things aren't going your way. But I don't think there's any plans the Mavericks have to run him as a lone big right now based off his skill set defensively. I tend to agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So, on, you know, a Reddit user, Doncic rode to 200 kilograms, which... <laughs> Good um, name. If, if I knew the translation, this would probably be even funnier because I don't know which, which way it's... it's that's, that's, that's 200 a lot of pounds, kilograms right? is a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, kilo, kilograms, kilograms. Of course, I'm, I'm being dumb. I'm being dumb. Um, they ask, do you think Wood uh, playing himself into the starting lineup is a given over time, or does he have to earn it? Yes, absolutely has to earn it. Let's focus on the first one. Like, it's, it's really hard to say without knowing, without seeing. You know, we don't have actual. You know, games are evidence, and this is how we do analysis: is that we build off evidence, publicly facing evidence that is presented in front of our faces, on our computer screens, on our TV screens, you know, at games. And we don't have that yet. So we don't know. Do y'all think you will? Well, like, I mean, like, I can predict the I guess future. We're going off. Actually, yeah. that's, that's okay, part of why yeah. I'm so good at this job. Uh, <laughs> Humble, too. That's look, the other part man, of it. Um, I don't think it's a given. No, because like we talked about, defense is the priority. But it, it's. I think it's likely. Um He's a really talented scorer, and there is a point where you just have to have points. 
And and being able to score matters in the NBA uh, a lot more than being able to defend individually, at least. And so if they can find a way to have his scoring on the court more and have passable defense, then he will start. That's it, right? That's the the goal. It's about can he provide more on the the so much on the offensive end that you can make up for the lack of defense. By the way, this is theoretical lack of defense. He may defend wonderfully in this system. We don't know yet. So, um, but yeah, I, I think he'll get, I think he'll start at least a few games here and there. And if he's in the starting lineup by the end of the season, it wouldn't surprise me. I think one of the scenario, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think the best version of this team has Christian Wood playing heavy minutes because that means that Christian Wood is a piece unlike anything they've had. I think for him to be a quote unquote starter, and that is different from the guy closing games. I'm, pretty confident that at some point this year we'll see a lot of Christian Wood in the fourth quarter. But you're talking about, is he coming out in the quote-unquote starting lineup? I think one of two things is going to happen. Either A, he's going to learn how to play as a four, a nominal four, right? But a second big man with JaVale McGee, or B, they are going to convince JaVale McGee to come off the bench. Because JaVale, it's very obvious that it is important to him, right? We saw this in media day. It was promised to him over the summer. JaVale McGee thinks of himself as a starter. So something is going to have to tip to where Either JaVale gets on board with not starting or they play well together or JaVale app or the gap in play between Christian Wood and JaVale is so huge that basically nobody can argue with it anymore and everybody's hand gets forced. That's the piece there. This is bigger than just what Christian Wood does. This is also about the guy who they got to agree to a deal in part because he was starting to get on board with whatever their arrangement is. I believe the Mavericks want to be able to play with two different styles and I believe Christian Wood is the their path to being able to do that. Mm-hmm. But to put him in the starting lineup would fundamentally change how they were successful last season. McGee is a direct replacement, you know, a a one-to-one comparison to Dwight Powell. Spencer Dinwiddie isn't quite one-to-one, but he keeps a similar vibe and a a similar rhythm on the court. I I don't think Christian Wood is, you know, he's, he's fighting for more than just a starting spot. He's fighting for the right to change the Mavericks' identity as a team. And I, I think, you know, like the more I think of it that way, the more it makes sense that he's coming off the bench. And the more I'm not certain that he's going to be starting games right away, and the more, you know, I, I think this will be a long process. And his reaction to it and the way he adapts to it is important to the Mavericks because they want to have different looks they can throw at teams. They, you know, I, I believe they feel like that, you know, one single style that they, you know, was all they could do in the playoffs last year was a detriment to them. But Christian Wood being able to change that is far from being something that's just going to happen overnight. And and like I said, you know, conversations I'm having right now, no, he's not there yet. And, you know, who knows what the time frame is and, and a big part of it, we're going to see when games start, but you know, you gotta, you gotta kind of consider it like that. Um, this, do you have a, do you guys have anything to add to that? Because this reminds me of one. Okay. This no. reminds me of one point. And, and I was talking about this and, uh, in an article published Monday on The Athletic, where I was just writing about... It was a roster breakdown, and I was writing about roles and questions. I do have one question about Spencer Dinwiddie, and the idea that we are presuming, and I, I don't think wrongly, that he'll just fill right into this Brunson role. But at the same time, we've talked about how he's not actually fitting into the Brunson role, because he's probably going to come out of game sooner. He's probably going to lead the offense every minute that Luka isn't on the court. I, do you have any fear that the success he had as a player last season with the Mavericks is 
was really fundamentally tied to always playing with another guard and quite frankly, not being the alpha. He came into a team where Luca was obviously established, but Brunson was as well. And I, I do think at times we saw his worst in- instincts come out when he was the only guard on the court. You know, not as many spot up threes, um, you know, just a just a little bit more f- free spirited basketball, I guess you could say. I'm optimistic about Dinwiddie's season. I think he's going to be good. I, I think that the reasons he was good last season, uh, last season are going to carry over. But I, I think it's at least a question to kind of consider. And I'm curious if you guys have thoughts on this. I mean, I think the health was big for him. Um, and, and the 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 disparity in what we saw in Washington and what we got to see in Dallas, I think largely because of health. I, I just think he really just got his legs underneath him post-trade and just look better, faster, stronger, more explosive. His shot looked better because he had his legs under him. There's a lot of reasons for that. But we know now that playing in the NBA as a ball handler, having another ball handler makes your job easier. So none of us should be surprised that when he got to play with another high-quality playmaker, he looked so much better. Um, he is gonna. It is going to depend on him running more things by himself. I, I worry about his shooting off the dribble. And if that if he can get that up to around avoiding 30, it mostly right well right he wants to attack <laughs> but I he needs I I think he needs to take a couple three pull ups a game out of the pick and roll you know when he gets an ISO switch um, because he does I mean, like he's going to gonna do that his yeah. his problem in his career is that he takes seven or eight right and that's right. why he's a thirty two career shooter or whatever it is well uh, thirty two off the dribble is fine right as long as you you pepper in the spot ups or whatever because thirty two off the dribble at a good volume. That that makes the defense have to respect you. Come out, and then when you attack the basket, you can get to the rim. So that's all we'll, fine we'll and come good. Back to this, but yeah. I mean, he, he needs to like he needs to be a credible threat off the dribble. Like thirty, I'd like to see him maybe take fewer bad off the dribble shots and more of those isos where he wants to get his head down and attack the basket. Maybe try to get the guy off balance and get a shot up. Like Luca is great at this, taking the the thirty footer. Uh, I don't know that Spencer Dinwiddie has the same range as Luca does. But it's not far off, and I think if he can just pull the defense out just a little bit more, get a little bit more respect, that it'll open things up for him even more as a playmaker, and that'll sort of uh, that'll that'll make it just easier on him without the other guy out there able to break down the the defense. Grayson MFFL asked, "What inevitable event will make Mavs Twitter explode this year? Good or bad? I don't care." I love this question so much, and it is 100% something related to JaVale and Christian Wood. And if Christian Wood is playing well off the bench, and JaVale, even if JaVale plays well, a lot of what JaVale does isn't going to pop in the stat sheet, right? So the minute Christian Wood starts playing, they're quite playing well, and just putting up numbers, which Christian Wood's going to do. We can ask whether, the question is going to be how much of what he does fits really winning basketball, but Wood will put up numbers. The minute he has a killer game off the bench, it is going to be, why is he not starting why is 34-year-old JaVale starting? What are we doing? It's going to be, even when Dwight Powell was good, Dwight Powell took a lot of, you know, shit similar to what JaVale is about to take because JaVale at this point is just a better version of what Dwight Powell has been post-Achilles. Uh, yeah, it's going to be related to that. I bet my life on it. So night one, is that what it's going to be? <laughs> it's going to be, Christian I think it's going to be. goes for 30 off the bench. Well, let's like give that. it a few weeks. Let's give it a few weeks. People, then people will be happy for the first couple of weeks that basketball's back, that Luca's just doing Luca stuff. It's going to be when you get the first, like, you know, I don't know, three losses of five games. Like, what do we do? Why don't we shake it up? Where's Christian? Why isn't Christian playing? You know what would help if we were, you know, we're scoring more points and Christian's out there for the jump. All that. It's coming. 
all year long, all year long. I bet Josh Green gets like 20 points within the first two weeks and rides that, oh, he's going to break out. And again, I I think he's going to have a fine season, but I think I think he'll have one outlier game that will shape expectations in a in a positive way that perhaps is beyond uh, reasonable expectations. But, you know, maybe he does keep it going. We can go quick with these. Uh, Sir Freakish on Reddit says, what do we do with Dwight's expiring contract? Um, probably trade it. Probably trade it. I don't, I don't think he's on the team by March. Sir Wilco says, what should we do with the 15th roster spot? Um, Ball handler of some keep kind. It. Yeah, they're going to keep it. Uh, I, I'd be sur- I, I don't think they're going to sign anyone. between. No, not right now. No, no, no. I, I don't know, man. Yeah. They should sign one of these guys off the Adelaide 36ers. They could they could use one of these guards. Man. <laughs> well, somebody else has active page 3886 says thoughts on a potential Kimball Walker and Dallas scenario once he's bought out. My thought is it's a bad I, idea and it's not happening. I kind of yeah, I don't I don't think he fits. Well, I, I mean, I don't think I don't think he he fits in the sense that they need a ball handler. I don't think he fits what they're trying to do. No. Right. Like they they passed on Goran Dragic, mostly. right? Yeah. They pass on Goran who is better than Kemba. Right yes. now. And that's exactly that's, it. Yeah. Right. So like they clearly are not interested in that sort of archetype. I just that it's just not going to happen. And if they did bring him in, maybe he does. OK. Maybe he gives them uh, a guy out there with Spencer Dinwiddie out on, off the bench. I don't know, man. Like it's a bummer to say this, but Kemba is just washed up. And yeah. if you're thinking, oh, we could bring in this guy on a veteran minimum. And he's going to play minutes. Well, what the hell does that say about your team? That that's a little bit worse than wondering if Josh Green is going to play. To to be honest with you, right? Like if you're saying, "Oh crap, we have to get Kemba Walker." Oops, you you messed up. So all the uh, questions, all of the downside of the Spencer Dinwiddie conversation. That's Kemba turned up to eleven because Kemba can't guard anybody anymore. Kemba is going to try and create his offense because that's what he was in his prime, but he doesn't have the juice anymore. He isn't going to set people up very well. Like, it's unfortunate. He was one of the most fun players for a good, what, four or five-year stretch, at least, in the league. He was amazing to watch, but time comes for everyone, and time has come for Kemba. I'll never forget about the run at UConn, man. It, it was one of the most— Even UConn, yeah. I was thinking the Hornets run—or not the Hornets, uh, well, you know, Hornets, I want Pelicans. The, I was give me the Kemba-UConn, Doc. I want the Kemba— you know, Big East tournament, NCAA tournament doc. You know, I, I think that would be a pretty compelling documentary. Just follow, you know, follow that. Um, but no, I don't think he's the guy for the Mavericks. No. We'll end on this one. Mana78, who asked several very good questions. Uh, he did. A sign of a, or she did. This, Whoever Mana is. Great questions. They, they, they were firing away with great questions. And there's a couple more I didn't even include in the stock that you guys are looking at. The sign of a good organization is being able to maintain success despite losing coaching assistance to head coaching roles. If the Mavericks do well again this season, who on the coaching staff is most likely to get promoted by another organization? Who on the coaching staff is irreplaceable due to what they provide to this team as a head coach? Or sorry, as a just a coach? I mean, I think the answer might be the same thing, and that's Sean Sweeney. You know, if, if Jason's entire identity for the team is building this off of defense and Sean Sweeney is the one helping, I don't know if he's irreplaceable. All right, let's be clear. I, I don't know if any assistant coach is irreplaceable. But the so this question team- starts this question starts with the sign of a good organization. I think the sign of a good organization is that nobody is irreplaceable, right? Right. Sure. Well, that's part of it. But also the the thing the funny thing about coaching, we talk about this on Nerder a lot, is that you often don't know who's in charge of what. 
and who's responsible for what. And, and so just because a guy is the, you know, let's say he's the defensive coach, he may not be the archetype or, or the architect of the defense. It could be that Jason Kidd is the guy. This is our defensive scheme. This is what we want to do. Now you're in charge of making sure it's coached up. Um, it, it's it, co- NBA coaching staffs are very amoeba. Like there's a lot uh-huh. of, a lot of moving parts, yeah, I mean, which is why for example, organizations withstand guys leaving, right? Yeah. For example, Sean Sweeney and Greg St. Jean run practices and Jason Kidd interrupts and adds advice when he sees fit, but yeah. he's not the one saying, all right, we're moving on to this next drill. NBA is coach is like, a CEO, man. Yeah. He's not, yeah. he's got managers. He, he's a CEO. It's just like, I mean, the NFL is very apparent about this because there are so many coaches. There are a lot of NBA coaches too. And everyone has an assignment. Everyone has a scout. If you're in San Antonio, everybody has a bottle of wine to take on the, or two to take on the road. <laughs> like, I mean, this stuff, like, I mean, the organizational hierarchy is very, very, uh, it's, it's at the same time clear, but also delineated where you do have all this, you know, crossover and it's to withstand, you know, uh, sort of corporate knowledge loss when a guy leaves, you know, if the architect, if the architect of your defense and the coach of your defense leaves, what do you do next season? Just start over? Nah. So, yeah, I think Sweeney's probably the guy, but they should be ready to take, you know, to, right. to have someone yeah, slide yeah, in yeah. there, no problem. Sweeney, uh, Sweeney will. Those kind of losses really just, I, I mean, I think coaching in general can be overrated for, for like talent matters so much more organizational infrastructure is really the important thing. And that's like, when we think about good coaching, it's stable coaching. It's, can you have a steady hand? Can you manage the egos, the personalities and all of this? You know, that's the important stuff of coaching an NBA team, which Jason Kidd has failed at in other places. And he succeeded so far here. It has nothing to build X and O's and shit just matters so little. Can you build culture outside of personality? Well, and I will say this, right? You know, in addition to Sweeney, who seems like the obvious guy, uh, someone who I could see going far down the road is Jared Dudley. Because Jared Dudley, dating back to his playing days, is someone who understands relationships. He gets along with stars. We have seen teams promote play. I mean, look at the Steve Nash scenario, right? Steve Nash gets his job because ostensibly, and maybe that's souring up in Brooklyn now, but ostensibly he understands how to communicate with star players and knows how to motivate. Jared Dudley, people get along with Jared Dudley. Jared Dudley knows how to talk to the bench guys. Jared Dudley knows how to get along with star players. I don't think this is imminent that he's getting some great job, but that's a guy who down the road, in addition to Sweeney, who's the more immediate concern, I can see Jared Dudley rising up the ranks in a few years' time. I have more coming on the assistant coaches that the Mavericks have uh, in a week or two. Um, Not sure exactly. But I think it's a really interesting topic, and and we may revisit this and coaching broadly. I'll leave with one thing, which is that Rick Carlisle's coaching staff, um, you know, truly, I, I don't know how to frame this in a way that isn't disrespectful to them, but, but really this is more about what Rick Carlisle wanted from the people underneath him, was that they were not churning out different coaches and certainly not for head coaching jobs. He wasn't going and looking for the next uh, head coach starlet, you know, that was viewed as somebody who was eventually going to have an NBA job. And I don't think Rick Carlisle run, wanted that on his staff. And I think Jason Kidd actively does. And I think that's a good thing for any franchise to have, to have high aspirations and to be okay that nobody is irreplaceable. If somebody leaves, you can replace them because the culture remains. This is a great combo. We, We're going to come back to this. Um, Not sure when, but sometime in the next couple weeks. 
Uh, it'll tie in with an article I'm writing. We'll be back next week with actual games to cover. We're going to be back every Tuesday, you know, this entire season. And uh, we're going to start uh, next week. We're going to start having Thursday pods. But Tuesdays is when we talk about games, about players, about just what's happening. The news of the day. And I'm excited for it. I hope y'all are. We'll see ya. He plays Fortnite just like me. I am 34. Don't fight the future, honey. Don't fight the future. The future is Luke, a big dick donjage from the home of Melania Trump. How many kids you have? Don't fight the future. It tears me apart. Don't fight the Please be nice to Luca. Future four time MVP. Oh my god! Oh! Shut it down! Let's go home! It's a wrap, Doug! That is a wrap. Woo!